The most eeriest of greetings to each and every one of you. Those tunes are as always courtesy of my good friend Bobby Mackey, and I'm your host Tessa Morrow. Thank you so much for stopping by and making Paranormal Prowlers part of your day. Devil's Backbone is a 24-mile stretch. It's a limestone ridge that goes basically from Wimberley to Blanco. You know, we have a Blanco out here in Colorado, and I actually tried to watch videos on YouTube, and some people said Blanco and some said Blanco, so don't know which is right. Maybe it's one of those Del Norte and Del Norte. Like, maybe there isn't the wrong way. I don't know. I'm sure some Texans are listening going, you idiot, it's pronounced this way. (laughs) So my apologies. But either way, so I'll just say Wimberley to Blanco. It's about 1,400 feet in elevation and around an hour or so from San Antonio, which I love that place. San Antonio is awesome. It basically runs through the heart of Texas Hill Country. Limestone. You know, it's been associated and it's no stranger when it comes to the paranormal and the supernatural. There are so many cases of hauntings when it comes to our friend Limestone. There was actually one case where a woman was being terrorized in her own home. She would suddenly be woken up by loud, intrusive, and scary sounds. Her furniture and other items in her house would move all by themselves. Doors opening and shutting. Poltergeist-like hauntings, if you will. Well, she asks for help. And I think the answers that she got didn't really give her any comfort. But perhaps a hell of a lot more questions. Her house was actually built on top of an underground river. And there was limestone there too. The combination of flowing water and limestone, it's no wonder her house has so much activity going on there. And there was another case where, and I think it was featured on TV, where a courthouse that was made out of limestone was taken apart and basically the limestone was used in other buildings in town and then a bunch of hauntings started popping up out of nowhere so i don't know just really interesting stuff sebastian francisco de miranda E. Rodriguez de Espinosa. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but I'm thinking this guy doesn't have enough names in his name. <sighs> Come on, dude. <laughs> Either way, I'll just refer to him as General Miranda. He trekked through the area in search of gold. To be more exact, the expedition was searching for the seven cities of gold. Now, back then, It was customary that a member of the Catholic Church go and be part of this expedition, of any expedition. So the man that was assigned to join this particular one was a man, he was a monk, named Espinoza. He was a cruel man, many said, and several despised him. He demanded a ridiculous amount from the laborers, so much so that he was dubbed with the name Diablo. As they passed through the rugged pass that we now know as Devil's Backbone, the people in the expedition referred to it as Espinosa 
Diablo, the English meaning devil's backbone. It is believed that the name originated from this expedition. Makes sense to me. Besides an expedition traveling through, Devil's Backbone has a ton of history, legends, stories, tales, and haunts connected to it. Long ago, the Comanches and the Lipan Apaches called this wilderness their home. The Spaniards, eventually they would come, first trying to befriend the Indians, but ultimately they would take over the place the Indians knew was home and even enslaved them. Well, a battle took place. No one comes and takes our land away from us. The end result, the Spaniards, they left. Now, while the Indians are long gone, their sacred burial grounds are still very much there and a great part of Devil's Backbone. Upon my research on this phenomenal location, the name Burtwall popped up. And I don't mean just like once, I mean several times. I would see so many encounters and experiences, and this guy, he experienced a lot of those. He was not only a beloved local and lived on the land that is Devil's Backbone, but he also has had several encounters with spirits and so much more. Bert was an author writing several books about this phenomenal location. And he was actually in the process of writing yet another book when he sadly passed away. Curious about this man and all that he had to share about this topic, this location I was looking so deep into, I decided to buy one of his books and it's titled The Devil's Backbone, Ghost Stories from the Texas Hill Country. It's a great read and I recommend you check it out. I bought mine on Amazon. So Throughout this episode, you just might hear me mention Bert on one of his encounters. In his book, he describes a location not too far from his home. It's a 25-acre land that's surrounded by gorgeous mountains covered in trees and cactus. And actually, Dudley from Wild Hogs would correct me probably by saying cacti. (laughs) Anyways, at the base of the mountains is a rock bottom creek bed. The embankments are covered with an intense underbrush. Well, many strange happenings have taken place here on this land. It was dubbed as Haunted Valley. It is the site of the famous wolf possession of John Viadiel. Wait, (laughs) hold up the brakes. A wolf possession? Yes! Yes, my friends, that's right. A wolf possession. Bert's son was away at college, but he would come home on weekends to visit. He wasn't too terribly, terribly far away. Many times he would bring a friend or two, some of his college buddies with him. Well, one Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday to be exact, Bert's boy, along with two friends one of them being John Viadiel, came for a visit. They planned to do some exploring at Devil's Backbone, watch the big game, just have fun, enjoy family time, and hang out. The three men take off earlier in the day. They're having fun. They're checking things out. They're exploring the mysterious haunted land. John suddenly becomes separated from his friends. While alone, he finds this gorgeous crystal rock shimmering vigorously as the sun hits it. 
he bends down to take a better look at one of nature's treasures. Immediately upon doing so, he feels as if he had just walked into a large freezer. And when the confused man tries to stand back up, he realizes, much to his horror, I could imagine, that he is paralyzed. He's frozen in the knelt-down position. As his body is frozen, he has this vision, if you will, a wolf running along a mountainous path. Now suddenly the young man hears rustling sounds coming from the brush. He looks up above and to his shock and amazement, he sees a very large in size, silver gray wolf intently staring down at him. There's something very, I don't know, off-putting about this creature for it has a haze surrounding it. You know, I don't know about you, but when I'm in the wild or in nature, and I just, I'm a photographer at heart. I, I would rather take pictures of animals than people. So I, there's been times where I've seen like snakes or, you know, so many different other animals, bobcats. But usually the difference is you're in the safety net. Like there's either a distance between you or you're in a car or something. Well, there's nothing to protect John. So this hazy wolf is all of a sudden here. And as soon as man and beast make eye contact, the wolf leaps viciously at the man. And what would have been upon impact, the wolf goes through Viadiel's body, then instantly vanishes. John would later share that where the wolf would have collided with him, he felt an intense chilling sensation going through his body. Well, his friends, they finally reach his location. He's on the ground. He's dazed. He's in a confused state. Something's not right. The two friends hadn't heard or seen anything. Frustratingly enough, I am sure. He tells them that he has a chilling sensation running through his body and he is cold to the touch, like ice cold. Seriously. It doesn't stop there. On the way back home to San Marcos, after their visit at Bert's ranch, they find that John is not himself. Not one bit. Usually he's a friendly, talkative person. He's silent along the way. His demeanor, it has changed dramatically. He's impatient. He's uneasy. It's uncomfortable and it's unnerving. As they reach their town, he suddenly speaks demanding that they go back to the ranch. What happens next is terrifying. He then speaks in a voice that is not his own and in a language that in his state, right state of mind, he's not familiar with. What the witnesses described is that it sounded as if it was like a mix of Spanish and Apache. The friend sitting closest to John shares that he felt a coldness, a chill, more like a freeze. He actually grows numb. In his words, There was a big block of ice sitting next to me. Besides expressing the need to get back to the ranch and speaking in a language that, I don't know, was not his own, and with a different voice, mind you, he also starts to describe to his friends massacres of Native Americans and ambushes against tribes, something that Again, in his right state of mind, John Vieriel has no knowledge about whatsoever. 
The men, they knew their friend. He wouldn't just usually act this way. They knew something was up. And they took it seriously and they turned around, left San Marcos, and headed back to Devil's Backbone. By the time they reached the family ranch, it was well past midnight. As they pull up, John has grown more anxious. So much so that he actually leaps out of the car and tries to make a run for the rugged countryside. His friends, they apprehend him, bring him into the safety of Bert's ranch home. You know, John's friends feel, hey, he might talk and open up if we're not around. So they leave Bert and John alone, and Bert asks his son's friend, What's bugging you, son? What's, what's going on? Here's a part in his book as he describes what happens next. Quote, He didn't say a word, but immediately seemed to lose control of his body. His arms and legs, they twisted in all sorts of directions, as if he were double-jointed. His breathing was frightfully irregular, his chest and stomach twisting in and out of shape with every breath he took. Unquote. Bert then describes how, at one point, in the man's eyes, all there was to see was the whites. When he speaks to Bert, like earlier, to his friends, it was not in his own voice. But this time, remarkably, it was in English. The voice was that of an old man. He tells Bert about a bloody battle that took place in the early 1800s between two Indian tribes. It seems that both tribes had claimed the sacred ground rights on a particular piece of land. Soon, on what was a calm, quiet, and peaceful Texas night, a burst of wind suddenly comes into the house, and as soon as it came, it leaves. John, he then falls asleep. When he comes to, finally, he's confused at why are we back at my friend's ranch? And he has no real recollection of the eerie events, out-of-this-world events, that took place with him. Now, I don't know, to me, this is an incredible and unique encounter. It seems that maybe there is an Indian spirit, obviously, who maybe is a shapeshifter, appears into the beautiful wolf. A very unique tale, and it's amazing because it's not just some guy telling the story. You know, there's people to kind of say, yeah, this did happen. I mean, his two friends, they may not have seen the exact encounter between man and beast, but they know their friend well enough to know something was incredibly wrong. I mean, the coldness that was coming off of him, the different language, the knowledge of things he didn't know. And then Bert firsthand seeing it as well. And then contorting his body. It was just quite incredible indeed. Absolutely. Another tale from Devil's Backbone, people in the area, farmers and ranchers, they were having a hell of a problem when it came to their livestock, horses, goats, sheep, chicken, what have you. The problem? Uh, They were viciously being slaughtered and devoured and torn to shreds. Desperate to stop this attack on their animals, and in some cases, like the cattle, their livelihood, they banded together and searched far and wide for whatever was responsible for this bloody mess, this bloody massacre with dead animals in the wake. They placed several traps throughout the area, 
Many had hunting dogs join the search, but no such luck. They came back completely empty-handed. Feeling defeated, they went to Plan B. Find a professional hunter and find one they did. This elderly gent, he's been hunting for decades. A meeting takes place between the concerned citizens and the famed hunter. Terms are discussed and the hunter leaves them with something like this. 30 days and I will bring you your beast. 34 days go by and no sign of the hunter nor the beast. Now finally, I believe it was on the 35th day, the hunter, he emerges. He's a sight for sore eyes. Ouchiwawas! He's in a weakened state. He's exhausted. He's hungry. Dehydrated. I'm sure he stank to high heaven. Well, he gives the ranchers and farmers a glimpse into what he dealt with for those 35 days. Several days go by until finally he catches the deadly predator's trail. He sets up several traps in that area and along the path, only to find that when he comes back, every single trap is sprung. The bait remains untouched. Whatever the hell this thing is that he was dealing with, it was calculating. It was smart. It was taunting him, acting like this was just a game. One time I saw my, uh, my mom's three-legged cat, who I lovingly call Sassy Assassin, playing with a mouse, throwing it up in the air. The mouse would run away. And she would go and get it and do it again. Cat and mouse game, my friends. This was totally a game. After several days of no real progress... The hunter is on a high ridge, scanning the surroundings, when he finds the creature that has been murderously wreaking havoc in the area. You're kidding me, right? A goat. It's a goat. (laughs) So the culprit was an extremely large goat, an enormous all-white ram, well over 200 pounds, He had red, haunting, menacing eyes. Not only that, but the seasoned hunter claims that when this beast excelled, what looked like fire came barreling out of its enraged nostrils. (coughs) When the hunter makes his way down to where this creature is, it's now resting in a deep cave. Poor thing, you know, all that killing must be absolutely exhausting. Am I right? The hunter, armed with his trusty rifle carefully takes aim and shoots the resting beast right between the eyes. Immediately afterwards, the cave is suddenly filled with sounds. The hunter knows that sound All too well. Cautiously and ever so carefully, he exits the cave. The goat is lying there. It's hurt, but still very much alive. Eyes fixated on the hunter, who fears he may soon become the hunted. When predator turns into prey, not a pretty thing, my friends. Once the man is out safely, he lights up the area, and what he sees verifies what he heard.
So I just need to say real quick, that sound is actually a video I took of a rattlesnake, a prairie rattlesnake that my stepdad and I caught on him and my mom's like land where they live in Colorado. And um, I had to babysit that snake for like over two hours before somebody could finally come, that being my stepdad, and help me because they were all out of town. So yeah, babysitted a rattlesnake and it was this gorgeous greenish rattlesnake um, prairie. And so yeah, we, we ended up locating it safely up into the mountains. And I know a lot of people would kill them, but I just, yeah, such a neat creature. Wanted to give him a chance, so we let him go. But anyways, that rattle you hear is that snake that I caught. So there we go. But anyways, this rattlesnake. The rattlesnakes are everywhere. Hundreds of them. Looks like the killer of ranch animals calls a rattlesnake den his home. Not only did this cave give shelter to the killer goat and deadly snakes, the hunter claims to have caught a glimpse of what looked to be several chests and gold coins on the ground. As he collects his agreed payment, he tells the folks who hired him, The devil, yep, I was hunting the devil, and he's still out there. Then, another sighting, unsure if this was before or after the intense manhunt, this one was in Burt Wall's book. He discusses how, at times, he would let a certain amount of hunters, chosen carefully, to hunt on part of his land. Well, there was one such group that involved two married couples. Well, one of the men, he's in his deer stand, waiting to claim his trophy. Nightfall is close by. The snow is falling harder. He's about to retire for the night, feeling very much defeated as it will be empty-handed. Side note, his wife ends up getting a good one, so not completely empty-handed, but not by his own hand. Suddenly, he hears sounds coming from below. A snort. It's nothing like he's heard before. He looks down. He sees a tall, dark figure about six feet tall. And like the hunter's description, this beast had threatening red eyes and smoke or fire coming out through the nostrils. Another thing that people have seen here a lot, including Bert, is a lady in white walking across the road when people stop to see if she needs assistance and what have you, she simply just vanishes. She has been seen for decades, at least into the 1950s, which is quite amazing. While in the Devil's Backbone area, there's also what's known as Purgatory Road. While driving through there, many travelers have experienced seeing an apparition jump on the hood of their cars, there have also been sightings of shadow people and some have heard unexplained screams as well. It is pretty common here to get great evidence such as EVPs. Other things that people have encountered or dealt with while at the haunting devil's backbone is seeing phantom children playing in the creek, uh, smelling phantom smells such as perfumes, Seeing black shadows, hearing the sounds of war drums, smelling the overwhelming smell of campfires. I guess that would be thrown in the phantom smell category. My bad. Even though no smoke is in sight, though, nor is it allowed to do in that area. So I don't know. Many, so many other things going on there. 
Well, upon my research, I came upon UFO Insight, where they discuss how whole families were basically wiped out by murderous raids. The Comanches back in the early 1800s were raiding the land, and the head of the household was usually put in an uncomfortable position, either be attacked and brutally murdered by the Comanches, or you put your family out of their misery before it actually happens. Yeah, basically you're taking each life and then you're taking your own. So murder-suicide. A while back, apparently, a young boy in the area, he started talking to no one in particular. Well, you know, his family, they just kind of think nothing of it. Oh, it's sweet, you know, maybe it's an imaginary friend, what have you. Well, everything is fine until he mentions to them that his friend has a hole in her head and she told him that her dad put a hole in her head to save her. Very, very eerie for sure. Poor baby. It's sad that she's alone and not with her family. You know, if they all died together, it's sad that she was separated from the bunch and that she's like forever just by herself. Meanwhile, on ghost stories, I found an account someone shared this woman. She's a practicing witch. She goes to explore Devil's Backbone. She has a wonderful day that includes swimming, exploring, hiking, probably taking in the gorgeous views and what have you. Well, after a day full of amazing activities, the woman, she's pooped out. She retires for the night. All's fine. She's relaxing, camping out and looking at the stars and watching a horror flick on her little trusty portable DVD player. When suddenly her peripheral vision captures apparitions. Soon the woman sees hundreds of these things, these apparitions, walking past her, not paying any sort of attention to her, perhaps even unaware of her existence. She described these apparitions as wearing European medieval looking masks that was concealing their identity. The masks, in her words, had a very Celtic pagan look to them. Suddenly, she starts to feel creepy crawlers all over her body. Frantically, she uses the light from her DVD player. As she is illuminated with that light, she suddenly sees several types of bugs crawling on her, including like centipedes. Like, no thank you. Dealt with those before. They are not fun. With the apparitions and now the sea of bugs, she's starting to feel uncomfortable, as if she's not wanted there. Like, she's unwelcome. She's an intruder on this mysterious land. What happens next, in my opinion, is the most eerie. As this woman returns to the safety that is her vehicle, she can't help but notice that a little apparition of a medieval looking gesture is following her. She finally makes it to her car. A sigh of relief, I'm sure, was expressed. (sighs) She's in the car. The doors are locked. She's okay. Well, she tries to get some sleep, but the jester has other plans for the practicing witch. For, well, over an hour, this small, taunting little apparition keeps jumping up to get a look at the woman. He was very persistent. It is clear now that she will not be getting a wink of sleep. So she decides to drive back home. Mind you, she's tired, she's exhausted, she just wanted to sleep, she had a long day. But she ultimately ends up making the 70-mile trek back home. Now, that's not a long drive, you know. Uh, When I drove from 
North Carolina to Colorado and vice versa, like a hundred times, I usually do like a thousand the first day. But when you're tired and you've had a long day and it's late at night and you just want to relax, 70 miles, I'm sure feels like an eternity. So I could totally feel her pain. That sucks. So she gets back home, but apparently this jester apparition follows her and he stays with her until dawn. I mean, what an incredible encounter. Definitely one for the books. Unfortunately, with those kind of sites, the person is usually anonymous. And so I would have loved to find her and ask her if she wanted to be on. That would have been awesome to hear from the, the mouth of the person that actually experienced it. So another encounter, a man shares how one day he was driving along Devil's Backbone and he comes upon soldiers walking, several of them. He stops his car. He approaches one of them. He tries to speak to the soldier who in return turns slowly towards him and slowly disintegrates before the stunned traveler's eyes. Another phenomenal encounter. Now, if you are in the area and want to escape the Texas heat, and you find yourself wanting to chill out, relax, have a nice cold one, I suggest you hit up the Devil's Backbone Tavern. Yes, of course, it's named after the area that it's in. It's a tavern and a dance hall. One of the many beloved honky-tonks you will find in Texas, my friends. This place is a very haunted location and has a bunch of paranormal happenings occurring here all the time. It is said that many of the loyal patrons have died here while sitting at the bar, doing what they love most, spending time with friends, sharing tales over a cold brew. Nothing better, my friends. Absolutely. Ashes of some of the patrons have long since been scattered between them honky-tonk floorboards. There's a resident spirit of a man that haunts the bar. Usually he sticks to the south end. He's known for rearranging furniture, turning off lights, and what have you. Sort of what some experience with poltergeist hauntings. He's extremely mischievous, but he's harmless. Other things that take place here is the flickering of lights, the windows opening and closing on their own, things moving by themselves. The TV will suddenly just change channels out of nowhere. The jukebox will suddenly start to play on its own when no one is close to it and the light starts to flicker. Apparitions appear and vanish before people's shocked eyes. I actually saw online that one employee had a spooky encounter one evening. She was by herself and closing up shop. She suddenly hears a loud sound coming from the back door. When she goes to inspect the area, she finds not a single person. What she does see, though, would give anybody chills, I imagine. Two large, wet footprints. One man shares that in the 1960s, I believe it was 1963, him and a group of his longtime friends gathered at the bar to catch up on old times, have a few beers, just have fun, you know? They sit at the bar, and a barkeep comes up and greets them by saying, I won't serve you in these seats. You'll have to move. The group of confused friends are brought into the loop of things and are basically told that the original seats that they had sat in were reserved for the dead. 
The bartender continues by telling them that when people sit in those seats, in those bar stools, that strange things soon happen and that the fellow patrons' moods even start to be affected and start to change dramatically. A sign on the tavern's mantle reads, quote, Ghost warning. If doors and windows open and close by themselves, just ignore it. It's just our ghost trying to get attention. He thinks he's funny. <laughs> Unquote. Oh, I love it. That's awesome. I love when, like, businesses are creative with their signage. You know, it's not just, like, some, like, boring whatever, you know. My mom, she had her organic store and cafe, and she actually had this cool tin sign up that said, if you leave your children unassisted, we will give them a free cat and a shot of espresso. <laughs> just like, I don't know. I just love that kind of stuff. It just kind of makes you remember like, okay, that's awesome. So too funny. So apparently the ghost, he thinks he's funny. And he is probably. One story I found to be quite comical has to do with a late patron named Robert. His picture is in a frame hanging up on the wall along with other patrons who have passed away and who are missed. At least two times this picture has came off the wall hitting someone in the head. Now, you may ask, why does Tessa find this comical? Like, is she a monster? (laughs) I'm not a mean person. I don't like seeing people get hurt. But I don't know. In this case, let's just say that this person had it coming. She was the late patron's ex-girlfriend. And both times this happened to her, she was in the middle of saying something negative about the deceased. I mean, come on, that's hilarious. You'd think she would have learned the first time. Like, like, girl, shut up already. There is so much more going on at Devil's Backbone. So much so that you will hear more about it next week, including experiences from an incredible guest that has been to Devil's Backbone many times. Can't wait to have him on. He is going to talk about a ton of different things that you didn't even hear about tonight. So, with that being said, Did you enjoy this week's episode? Yes! Listen to the others, you guys. They're equally phenomenal. Haven't heard every single one yet? No need to cry, my friends. Just trek on over to any of the podcast platforms such as Player FM, iTunes, Deezer, Apple Podcast, CastBox, GeoSavin, wherever you may roam to hear your other spine-tingling podcasts, you'll probably find Paranormal Prowlers podcasts lurking in the background. This week's special city shoutouts go to Tijuana, Mexico, Chandler, Arizona, Lakeville, Minnesota, Air. Massachusetts, and Abilene, Texas. You guys, thank you so much for making Paranormal Prowlers part of your day. Do you have an idea for an episode or a scary experience you'd like to share? Hit me up at paranormal.prowlers.podcast at gmail.com or you can message me, Paranormal Prowlers, on Facebook or Paraprowlers on Twitter. Don't forget to check out Part 2 in Devil's Backbone next week. See you next week, my Diablos.